Well, good morning again from wherever you are watching us or even possibly listening to us. We are glad that you are with us. And um, we are working through the story. The 30th story is a 31-week series. And uh, today we're looking at chapter 22 uh, in the story. It's called The Birth of the King. And we're going to be looking at John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. Uh, but before we get there, um, over the last uh, little while, we from time to time um, tell these um, what we call dad jokes. You know, they're really bad. They're sore. The, the, the quality of them is determined not by laughing, but by groaning. <clears throat> so wherever you are watching online from, um, the response needs to be a groan. So um, one of the staff sent me this uh, this past week. And to all of our French uh, language people, please forgive me, and you'll understand why in a moment. Two cats are racing in a pool. One cat is called one, two, three. The second cat is called un, deux, trois. Which cat won the race? Well, the first cat, one, two, three, did because un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq. Okay, a little humor to lift the load. We're going to read our text this morning, and we're going to be reading from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, and uh, let me read it for you. And this is what it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us pause and let's pray together. Father, again we bow in your presence and thank you for your love for us in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you have accomplished in Jesus and makes it possible, available, and applicable in our lives. And we ask now that that same Holy Spirit would take your word and give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to comprehend, and particularly as we go about our lives this week in light of, Lord, COVID-19 that we would live out through the agency of the Spirit, through the enabling of the Spirit, that we would live out what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ, your followers. 
And so, Father, we ask whether that's in our homes, in our marriages, in our families, whether it's where we go and get our groceries this week, wherever it is that we find ourselves, Lord, that we would live out what it means to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And in Christ's name, we ask these mercies. Amen. Amen. So the birth of the king. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the New Testament Gospels, and for those of us that are, I want to take a moment just to offer some context to Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, and Luke's and John's. And to help us with our story today, with our text today, understand, first of all, that Matthew's gospel was written primarily to Jews, and what Matthew was trying to do was articulate that Jesus was the promised Messiah. If you're reading, ever reading through the um, book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, you'll notice this statement over and over again, and all this to, took place to fulfill what was written in the scriptures, or all this took place to fulfill what was said by the prophets. The reason why Matthew says that so many times is because he's writing to the Jews, and he wants them to know, and it's important to Jews, that they know that Jesus the Messiah is the one that was talked about in the Old Testament scriptures. And then Mark, of course, Mark wrote to the Romans and he was revealing Jesus as a servant ministering to people who needed help. Luke's focus was with the Gentiles. He was focusing on Jesus' humanity uh, as the Son of Man. Matter of fact, you will find that as you read through Luke's gospel particularly, that you'll find that one of Jesus' most favorite uh, titles for himself was the title the Son of Man. He calls himself over that over and over again. John, on the other hand, <clears throat> John is writing to both Jews and Greeks. And what John is doing is that he is writing in such a way that he is focusing on Jesus' divinity, that Jesus is God. Now, this is how it works. In all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000, but only John explains and makes the connection with the feeding of the 5,000 and that Jesus is the bread of life. The other thing that I want to just say to you before we get into our text this morning is that to understand that life is a major theme when we look at John's gospel. Matter of fact, it is used in John's gospel 80 times. And John is telling us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that if we commit ourselves to him, that he will give us eternal life. But there's also this. Even though John's emphasis is on the divinity, on the deity of Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, on Jesus' godness, and that's a word I invented, John makes it also perfectly clear that Jesus, the Son of God, is also a human person. That Jesus is not some abstract, con abstract concept or idea of philosophy. That Jesus is a real person who could be seen, who could be touched, and who could be heard. And John talks about that in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Now, this is all very important to keep in mind as we look at our text. 
Now, as we move to our text, our text begins with these words in the beginning. And right away, we have a problem. Because we want to ask this question, when was that? When was the beginning? Well, the truth is that we do not know. Nobody knows the answer to that question. But what we do know is this, that 1 John, or rather John chapter 1 verse 1, is an echo of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But there's also this. One of the first theological questions children ask is, when did God begin? Or when did God start? And what was it like before God? Or was there anything before God? And of course, the answer is no. Now, I remember as a child um, asking this very question, when did God begin? Was there anything before God? And I don't remember the, the answer exactly, but I remember that it wasn't very helpful. And I'm going to tell you this morning that my answer is probably not going to be that helpful either, because in the beginning, there always was God, but my answer is it's a mystery. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery from which godliness springs is great. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus. And we'll come back to that, <coughs> excuse me, in a moment. Now, John's answer is this. In the beginning was the Word. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always was. There never was a time that God was not. And I know that that is mind-blowing because it is one of the great mysteries when it comes to the Bible and it comes to faith, that there never was a time that God was not, that God always was. It's a mystery. But then John adds, he says <clears throat> that he was God in the beginning, talking about the Word. Now, we probably already know this, <clears throat> but the word Trinity is never, ever mentioned in the Bible, the actual Word. But that God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is stated and implied in both the Old and the New Testaments. One of the most familiar texts, of course, about the triune God is found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where it's God is speaking, and he's talking about creating humanity. And he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And of course, in our image, in our likeness is plural, and it implies that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> but my favorite text is, or one of my favorite texts, is found in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16, where it says this. Come near to me and listen to this. From the first announcement, I have not spoken in secret. At time, at the time it happens, I am there. And here it is. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his 
Spirit. Now, this is a direct reference to Jesus being enabled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we'll pick this thread up in just a little bit. But there's also this, what I call the word, word. Now, someone has said that the word, word, for Jesus is his nickname. But what it refers to is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who lived and who coexisted in eternity past and future with God and the Holy Spirit, God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, John could have used the name Jesus rather than the term the Word, but he didn't. Because technically, the second person of the Trinity never became Jesus until he was actually born in Bethlehem. The angel's message to Joseph, who was Jesus' earthly father, was this, that you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. For so before his birth in Bethlehem, Jesus was not his name. Before his birth in Bethlehem, he was the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and also called the Word. Now, John, or rather God via John, he wants us to know two things about the Word. First of all is this, that the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the Word, is eternally God. That's the first thing he wants us to know. The second thing that God wants to know through John is this, that the second person of the Trinity, the Word, is the communication of God. So, what are words for? Words are the way we express ourselves. Words are things that we use to communicate our ideas and our thoughts. Sometimes we'll say to our young children, use your words. And why do we do that? Because we're teaching them and teaching ourselves to express themselves properly, to communicate clearly. That's what words are for. And that's what the word is for. The Word, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is the communication of God. Now, John brings us all the way back to creation to make this point. And this is what he says. He says, through him, through the Word, through Jesus, through the second person of the Trinity, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So the question comes, how did God create the universe? Well, the Bible tells us he did it with his word. And people who read the Bible and those of us that are not familiar with the Bible, you've heard this statement, let there be light. And of course, when that word was spoken, there was light. But what it tells us in John is that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is the Genesis word that is spoken. Now, I know that's a little mind-boggling, a little mind-blowing, but that's how it's stated. But there's also this. John says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, this action of the word, the second person of the Trinity, the Son becoming flesh and dwelling amongst us, is the greatest 
the most incomparable superlative and unmatched communication of God when God became a human person. Eugene Peterson in his translation of the Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 14 that the word became flesh and blood and that's important. But Timothy, whom I mentioned earlier, says in 1 Timothy 3:16 beyond all question he writes, the mystery from sorry, the mystery from which true holiness or godliness springs is great, he appeared in the flesh. Now this is mystery number 2. Colossians says the sun is the image of the invisible God. And then in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Now we have often heard the statement that if you want to know who God is, then look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. And this is true. But there's also this. When God became a human person, he gained something that he never had before, and that was a physical body. In Jesus Christ, God became a human person. And Jesus Christ is everything that a human person is. He had toenails, and he had teeth, he had two kidneys, he had a brain, etc., etc. That everything that is human was Jesus. But there's also this, that while every, that Jesus is everything that a human person is, at the same time, he is everything that is God. He is all-powerful, he is all-present, he is all-knowing. That Jesus Christ is absolutely unique. He is one of a kind. He is simultaneously 100% God and he is 100% man. Now, not part man, not part God, but completely human and completely God. And there's no mingling of his two natures. It is two distinct natures in one person. Wow. Now that is why I said it is a mystery. Now, to add to that, Jesus has a physical body that is forever just like ours, just like your human body and just like my human body. Jesus' human body is forever. Now, I'm going to pause for a moment and just let that seep in to our thoughts because I want to say this, that Jesus' first and greatest price of identifying with us and fulfilling the plan of salvation and the redemption of people is this, 
that when Jesus said yes to God's plan in eternity past, he knew that the moment that he took upon himself human form, that it was forever and that he would never be able to go back to the way he was before exactly. When God became a human person in Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, it was forever. It was permanent. There was no going back. The body that was conceived inside Mary as an embryo was the same body that was born on Christmas Day it's the same body that grew up in Egypt and in Nazareth. It was the same body that was crucified on the cross. It was the same body that was put in the grave. It was the same body that rose back to life again on Easter Sunday morning. It was the same body that ascended into heaven and is there now. It is the same body with which he sits at the right hand of God. And it is the same body that he will come back again and it is the same body that he will have forever and forever throughout all eternity. Luke writes in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, the angels as the disciples are watching Jesus ascend into heaven, two angels appear to them and they say this, this same Jesus this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way, in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. God is spirit. And Jesus will never just be spirit only again. His physical body is for Ever. when we get in his presence when we get to heaven the only dimension of God that we will literally see will be Jesus because he's the only person of the Trinity that has a physical body now while you're absorbing that let me say this in order for Jesus to identify with us and for us to identify with him and in order for him to be our representative Jesus had to be Holy Spirit enabled now let me tell you why that's important the moment that Jesus activates his godness to say or to do anything he cannot be our representative and he cannot identify with us and we cannot identify with him because you and I, we can't activate godness. The only power that is available to you and I as people, as Christ followers, is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only power that was available to Jesus was the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 says these words. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, 
and how we went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is why Isaiah says what it says that we read a moment ago in Isaiah chapter 48, verse 16. And now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. Not once did Jesus ever activate his godness when he was on earth. Everything that he did, everything that he said, he only did by the aid and the anointing and the enabling of the Holy Spirit. Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 8 tells us that Jesus, when he became a human person, voluntarily put aside his godness, his godly attributes. And any and everything that Jesus did and said, even when he read people's thoughts, he did so by the power of the Spirit, by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and then, of course, we come back to Timothy that we've already looked at twice. And Timothy says in 3.16, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, but then it says, and he was vindicated by the Spirit. And then John writes this. John says, in him, in Jesus, in the second person of the Trinity, in the Word, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And what that basically means is this, is that Jesus is the light in the darkness. But there's a problem. And the problem is this. Jesus summed it up in John chapter 3, verse 19, where he said, where he, he makes the comedy, he says, this is the verdict Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, we know what this is about. You and I, we know what this is about. We're all sinners, and we all sin. And we all know that our sin is wrong. We all know that. Even Christians. Christians are still sinners saved by grace. And there are times that we sin. And when we sin, we know our sin is wrong. But Jesus' point is that even though we sin and we are sinners and we know our sin is wrong, is that because we are fallen, we actually like our sin. Sometimes some reason, reason, one of the reasons why we can't give up our sin is we actually like our sin too much because we know from what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, and we know this, and you don't need me to tell you this or the Bible to tell us this, there is a certain pleasure in our sin. There's a certain pleasure to our sin. But thankfully... 
We also know that God is incredibly merciful, that God is extravagantly generous and gracious, and because of that, the Holy Spirit shines the light of Jesus in the darkest places. And then there's this. One of the saddest statements, actually, that John writes in this, these 14 verses, it says, he was in the world, talking again about Jesus, the Word, the second person of the Trinity. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, how would you like to come to your house one afternoon and nobody recognize you and just ignore you? The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and he's talking, John is talking here about Israel's family nation. He came to the Jews who were his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Not everyone says yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Some do not, but some do. The innkeeper in the Christmas story is not the only one who turned Jesus away. And some of us, we turn Jesus away or we turn away from Jesus for some of the same reasons that the innkeeper did, that our lives are just too crowded. Max Licato said that our lives are too crowded with headlines and deadlines and phone lines and long lines and waistlines. And jam-packed lives with full schedules and responsibilities full and anxiety cups full. But Jesus comes in the midst of our crowded lives and he knocks on the door. And when he comes, he doesn't come to complicate our already complicated lives. He doesn't come to add more stress to our already stressful lives. He comes to simplify our lives and even to give us life. There's a very familiar text, a beautiful text, one of the most comforting texts in the entire New Testament. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, Jesus is speaking and he says this. And so I want you to imagine this morning that Jesus is saying this directly to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now let me ask you this. Have we thought about this in light of the panic and the fear and the uncertainty of COVID-19? This past week, 
In the midst of all that we've heard on the, as Pastor Sherry mentioned, on the news and in emails and texts and news feeds, have we thought about these words of Jesus? And where are we putting our emphasis? Are we putting our emphasis on COVID-19 and the fear and the panic? And the uncertainty? Or are we putting our emphasis on the one who says, Come to me, and I'll give you rest for your souls, for my burden is light and my yoke is easy. The other reason why some people say no to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus is this. And this may sound ironic because some people think that Jesus is just too ordinary. Some of us miss Jesus because we're waiting for something supernatural, something spectacular. We're looking for a sign from heaven or a, you know, a headline-grabbing miracle. But Jesus comes to us as an ordinary human person and he comes to us who are ordinary people the same way he came to an ordinary girl named Mary and an ordinary guy named Joe he comes to us the same way you see Jesus is ordinary enough to know what we, what you and I have been through this past week. Jesus is ordinary, is ordinary enough to know what keeps us awake through the night. Jesus is ordinary enough to know our, your, my ordinary needs. And Jesus is ordinary enough to hear our ordinary prayers. And then finally, the good news is this, that it's never too late. It is never too late for anyone to take up God on his offer and say yes to his offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Jesus came unto his own, and his own, the Jews, rejected him. Let me tell you, though, it's still not too late for the Jews. It's still not too late for Israel's family nation. And it's not too late for me and you. It's not too late for us. You may think so. But listen to this. It wasn't too late for Abraham to say yes at 100 years of age. It wasn't too late for Moses after 40 years in the desert. And it wasn't too late for Jonah who was on the run from God. And it wasn't too late for Saul, named Paul, who hated everything about Jesus and everything that represented Jesus. And it wasn't too late for Peter who denied Jesus. And it wasn't and it isn't too late for Thomas who doubted Jesus. 
And it's not too late for us. It's not too late for you. It's not too late for me. It's never too late. God is incredibly gracious and generous. And then we come to this last piece. And with this I close. John says, or rather God through John says, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right, the ability, the power to become the children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Every person who becomes a child of God does so by adoption through God's love and grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. That's why the king was born. Now, I know this morning that I've said some things that sort of made our heads ache a little bit. But it's important that we understand who Jesus is. The king was born so that we could say yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness because the king was born to bring about the ability for us to say yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for your incredible demonstration, profound, mind-boggling, mind-blowing illustration of love and graciousness and extravagance in and through and as Jesus Christ. And we thank you today for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that enables us to become the sons and daughters of God. We don't have to clean ourselves up. You'll take care of all that in time. And it's never too late. And so, Father, this morning I pray for each and every one that are watching online and they're hearing this message that this would be the day, that this would be the moment that in their heart of hearts, deep in their soul, they'll say, yes, yes. Lord, I, I don't understand all that Pastor Todd talked about today. I'll learn that some other time, but... I recognize that you sent your son so that I could say yes to your offer of love and forgiveness in his name. And today, I'm saying yes. And so, Father, we give you praise and give you thanks for every person that is saying yes. And we thank you and praise you in Christ's name and for his name's sake, amen. Now, if you said yes today in your heart, I would love to hear from you, and uh, you can email me at todd at gtsudbury.ca. That's todd at gtsudbury.ca. Well, I want to thank you for joining us for our online service this morning, and I just want to, for our church family, I just want to give them a piece of news, some sad news. Um, that um, I want us to pray for George Ziliak and his family. Uh, Meg Ziliak, George's wife, uh, died early on Friday morning. She went into the presence of Jesus 
and the celebration of life is to be announced and that will take place in the future. But also I wanna say this, I wanna just encourage our church family um, over these next couple of weeks, as you know, all the, as has already been noted that everything is canceled. But uh, one of the ways in which you can help people is this, um, think of some of our seniors that are living um, by themselves and they maybe uh, need some help with groceries or whatever the case may be, call them and ask them if they need some help and go pick up some groceries for them, bring them home. Be a great way to just show the love of Jesus in a practical way way so for this week and until next Sunday morning I want to say this remember no fear no panic but make wise choices God bless you and have a wonderful day and week